Everybody. As you probably have figured out, I'm neither Leon or Ryan. My name is Jay Taylor, and for, for the first time in the history of Sound of Play, I decided to host one for a change. And I'm not doing it alone. So joining me for Sound of Play 162 is uh, Richard Davison. Good evening, Jay. Nice to be here. I'll give full disclosure on this. Uh, Richard, you were on recently. Um, mm-hmm. couple, yeah. What was it, two or three weeks ago or something? Uh, end of May, I think, so not too long ago. Time flies. Now, the reason uh, you've come on is because you and I tend to spend a lot of time chatting together on PSN. And since this is the first time I'm actually endeavouring to host the show, I figured it might as well be somebody I'm at least comfortable with speaking to because I'm a little nervous about this stuff. I've never done it before, even though I've been editing the damn things for like nine years. (laughs) It's just like, yeah. absolutely yeah and i think it's going to be one of those situations we're talking about this earlier that it's going to have to be very disciplined because it's usually a case of going into sort of uh died in the world liberal politics and and games so if we can stay away from politics (laughs) and keep the games there so yeah the first track uh was the castle by nobuo uematsu 
from Final Fantasy VIII. So, so I really like Final Fantasy VIII, and I was mm-hmm. going back today and thinking about why I like Final Fantasy VIII. So, um, I think I was about eleven when Final Fantasy VII came out, and it was one of those situations where uh, it was the first RPG or certainly JRPG that I ever came across, and it was just so oblique and esoteric and story driven that I wasn't quite prepared for it as like an 11, 12-year-old kid at the time. Yeah, I bet you weren't um, using words like esoteric when you were Definitely alone. not, no, no. But Final Fantasy VIII, I was probably a more mature 14 or something like that. All I know is that I had plenty of time to go at it. So it was really like yeah. my first uh, uh, JRPG experience that I could really sink my teeth into. And, and latterly, I did go back to Final Fantasy VII, but I think that the Final Fantasy VIII keeps a kind of nice special place in, in my heart as a really formative experience. Yeah. Weirdly enough, though, I know Final Fantasy VIII seems to be lauded for for having like a, a really significant story or, or like a more mature story to deal with like love between yeah. Noah and Squall. I genuinely can't remember anything about that story, despite having played <laughs> it for hundreds of hours. But what I do remember is two very specific things: carpal tunnel syndrome from having to hammer square all the time to boost my GFs, and spending a hell of a lot of time at the end of this game in the castle and listening to this music over and over again. Now, I maintain that this game has an incredible end game where it really explores that junction system and you get the most out of the GF, but you've, you've really got to kind of pump about 60, 70 hours in this game to get the most out of it. Are you a fan? I So, it's interesting because I, I didn't recognise this music from it. And I can't say that I'm that familiar with Final Fantasy VIII score anyway, but when you say that this is the end boss team, I thought that's precisely why I've never heard it. I played this game quite a lot until I got to the end. Like the final showdown, the final sort of end section, I couldn't get past. There was something, I can't remember what it was I was fighting, but I remember I got stuck on it. It was one of those situations where you try a few times, try maybe half a dozen times, couldn't get past it, put it down, play something else, and then just never went back. This game's got that really weird leveling system, I think, where... it sort of scales at the same rate that you do. Mm. So there's no real sense of grinding above and beyond. And I don't know a great deal about it, but I think it's like once every 10 levels, it boosts the enemies up to mm. a point that they're, they're significantly more hard. So by the time you get to level 99, everything's very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, I think um, the only time I've ever really completed this with any confidence has actually been significantly lower level than 99. So you've really got to kind of scale it back to get the most out of it but it could well be that i just wasn't quite sort of formed enough to actually get the most out of a game like this at the time i think in the event that kane and Vince go back to it i think that'll be the stimulus that i need to go back and revisit it and, and kind of try and retrace yeah. those steps that i've got there but I with rem- regards to the music yeah incredible like it's not often you hear a ps1 game where nobuo omatsu's uh channel in phantom of the opera Hmm. with the organ solo it's just gnarly as hell it's just really incredible and Hmm. completely out there and i think there's something to be said about like getting that really crunchy midi effect that you would normally get out of a ps ps uh one game um i I just really like it It really brings me back to that sort of time 1999 when you're in my case (laughs) quite young (laughs) and um put me back into that situation brings me right back Hmm.
Right, so the track that you've just heard was The Spreading Eclipse by The Flight. That was from uh, Guerrilla Games' Horizon Zero Dawn. Now, I've got plenty to say about this game, but I'll probably have to hold some of that stuff back for when we cover it later in the year on the podcast, because, oh my god, I love this game. Honestly, it was my game of the year for 2017, without a shadow of a doubt. I know you've played it too, so... Yep, yeah. definitely. Like, I have nothing bad to say about that game, like everything about it was incredible but i think what what's interesting for me is that there's nothing specifically about the soundtrack that seemed to set me on fire in fact i don't really remember anything that was uh significant about the soundtrack it seemed to be one of those like ambient pieces that seemed to just augment the experience mm. just simply existing in that world and, and being in there and this kind of like the world that they created was so yeah. significant and impressive that i, I don't think i really kind of took time to absorb or digest the music oh, that was there. I think the soundtrack's incredible for this game. It's not uncommon to see multiple composers. I mean, there are five uh, people. Is there five? So let me see. You've got The Flight, which is a London-based duo. You've got Yoris the Man, who is obviously a, a sort of Guerrilla Games veteran with his Killzone soundtracks. There's a, another composer called Nils van der Liest, and uh, somebody else called Jonathan Williams. Now, Jonathan Williams seems to focus on the like. There's a couple. There's several vocal songs in this score, uh, and it's more ambient stuff. So, mm. if you can remember, like at the very beginning when you first go into, I think it's Mother's Reach when you're doing the proving, and it's yep. the first time you've ever visited this town, this village of the Nora. And they're having a big celebration. And you'll pass a stage where there's three sort of Nora girls singing on the stage. You know, so there's those songs. They're in the soundtrack. And they're kind of sung in... uh, They're not sung in English. So I don't don't know if it's an actual language or made up or or what. Yeah, but it is world building. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important for sort of developing that sense of space, sense of place, sense of time. And of course, then there's, there's... Although there's there's all those people involved in the composing, there's also uh, Julie Elvin, who is quite a famous singer. She also vocalizes on several of the main themes that that run through the the game itself. But I I kind of understand what you mean when you say that it's there's nothing in the soundtrack that really stands out. Maybe there's you know the first uh, the first piece of music from the training montage sequence. Yeah. You know, I think because that's similar to what was used in trailers and stuff. But, but, um, but yeah, uh, it is actually a fantastic score. Like, there's some really strong pieces of music in it. When you listen to it in isolation, I, I thought it was fantastic. But then I was a big fan of Yoris the Man. I think he, he does all the, you know, even in the um, in the Killzone scores, he did some fantastic work. It must have a difficult job to do because if you look at what it's trying to achieve, it's a sci-fi mm. story, but it's trying to sort of evoke that prehistoric uh, sensibility that you get from from Horizon as a whole. So mm. God knows how they've managed to achieve what they did, but you know they they definitely do that. Oh, I think I think it's a class act. I mean, I, I, that's how I feel about that game as a whole. Anyway, I I, I yeah thoroughly thoroughly love it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I completely conquer. Everything about that game was just enjoyable. Even yeah. the just the nitty gritty, the story, the just existing in there was a real pleasure. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, we're covering Horizon Zero Dawn on the Kane and Rinse podcast for issue three four three. So that's I think we're recording that very early November. Right. So the next track 
Now, this is going to be a bit of a running theme, I guess, is that we've actually played a lot of the same games. Definitely. I know this is a game that we probably collectively have put something in the region of five to six hundred hours in between us. Easily, yeah. Yeah, I was easily, yeah. I, I strange experience here. Yeah. I don't think I've ever ever played a game uh, alongside somebody else almost competitively, but not quite almost coll- like strangely collaboratively, competitively, who knows. Yeah, yeah strange experience. So, yeah, the game is Metal Gear Solid 5. And what's the track you've chosen from this? So I've kind of cheated here. It's it's a track from both Peace Walker and from The Phantom Pain, and it's called uh, The Deployment Theme. And if you've spent any length of time within uh, Metal Gear 5, you'll know that this is something that you're going to hear over and over again. So it's in the sortie screen when you're equipping Snake or one of the uh, the members of the Diamond Dogs mm. with the equipment, and, and you're choosing your buddy and getting yourself ready to go there. And it's, it's like an anthemic theme. In, in another game that, that kind of has this weird sort of ambient music experience, there's not a great deal that stands out as uh, like anthemic yeah. from Metal Gear 5, but this is definitely one that you can sort of anchor yourself against. You know what's happening. You're going to hear it a lot if you want to go for that 100% in the same way that I have. But I know you haven't. Not quite yet. I've got one mission. Like one mission to... <laughs> Do you know which S- one it is? I can't remember now. I really can't. But it's... Yeah, I've got to go through... Uh, let me think. No, I can't remember what it is. I can't remember which one. But it's it's like... I have to do it. I'm, what I'm hoping is... We haven't put in submissions for next year's podcast listing yet. I think I'll probably put Metal Gear 5 in. A, because it's it's getting... You know, it's what? Um, three years old now? Mm-hmm. So... 2015? Uh, yeah, I think we've... You know, it, it's a good time if we, if we don't want to leave it too late. So let's... Um, well, of one thing we're going to be sure, it's it's not going to get kind of developed further than what it is well, at the moment. Exactly, so. Yeah. so maybe, maybe if we do actually cover it next year in the podcast, in the Kane and Rinse podcast, that will be my incentive to get that final mission S-ranked and to get it 100%. <laughs>
so that was Peace Walker deployment theme by Ludwig Forsell from the Metal Gear 5 soundtrack. Right, I should point out that usually with Sound of Play, we include community submissions. Slight deviation from that this week. Rich has bought his tracks like we always have the guests bring on their tracks. I have got music that I wanted to bring on if I was going to guest on another show. But since I'm hosting this one, I figured, well, I'll kill two birds with one stone and, and have my choices on as well. So this week, we haven't got any um, community submissions. But if you're interested in doing this, you just go to the Canaanites forum. And we've got a sub forum with Sound of Play. And within those threads, you can leave your choice of tracks. And they will be included in later or various shows along the way. Christ, can't you spit these f- words out of your mouth in some <laughs> kind of f-ing order that makes sense <laughs> but it's just i don't know you. you've got the hard job here yeah and i'm making it harder every time i open my f-ing mouth <laughs> it's just never mind anyway <laughs> i'm just probably just gonna have to re-record huge chunks of this on sunday <laughs> but yeah uh, it's fine not to worry uh, right so my next track is from another game i love because i'm only going to pick music from games that i actually enjoy because why wouldn't I? Yeah. It's kind of a cover, but well, it's, I don't know how to describe this because it's a, so the track I'm going to pick is from Journey, but it's a kind of, I don't know if you can call it a remix, a cover version. Well, I suppose it's got cover in the title. So it's, it's, I was born for this Ocarina cover by Austin Wintry and Chris Gale. Chris Gale is also known as the Ocarina Diva. So I guess she's known as doing covers of video game music or, what it seems to be with this particular track is she's playing over um, Austin Wintry's score, but it's really good. I mean, to be honest, it sounds like the score. I, it doesn't sound out of place. It doesn't sound like, you know, some of these covers where they're using different instrumentation. This this actually could be from the game. It's just, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a fantastic piece of music, as is the entire score uh, for this game. But yeah, anyway.
So I listened to this song at the mm-hmm. same time, and I, I find it like interesting that you picked up on this idea that the, the ocarina kind of serves as the same, uh, pretty much exactly the same melody as, as the instrumental that, that comes along when you play this game. And, yeah. and I was worried that it was something that maybe I'm just not picking up on this, but it is. And it's incredible because I never knew that an ocarina had that much range that you could actually get more than one octave out of an ocarina to actually hit some of the notes that they're doing in the vocal mm. performance. Well, it's it's strange, isn't it? Because when I listened to this, I thought that was actually... It almost sounds like a voice at certain points. Absolutely, like a singing yeah. rather than a natural instrument, which I thought, that's incredible. That soundtrack on the whole, everything about that soundtrack well, is incredible absolutely everything it's so integral to the game as well well this is it i mean it's almost like the perfect marriage between the gameplay and the sound it, it, it's it's weird because as compared to what you were saying about horizon where the music uh, it obviously added a flavor but it wasn't as noticeable to you as a player but whether as journey feels like the music is absolutely integral to the experience like it isn't journey if you like try playing journey without the soundtrack you know and it just doesn't like turn the sound off and suddenly it's not the same game it feels like it loses part of its soul you know in, in my in my sense i mean it's it's just the almost you know, perfect marriage between the two forms and talk about things being it, it, it's kind of passe at this point to talk about how music in, in movies and games like affects your emotion or dictates the emotion is it passe really I don't know. I, th- I think so because you hear it all the time and it's just like a common criticism. But it's true. Yeah. It is, yeah. And I, I never at one point felt uh, manipulated by the, the music within Journey. I always thought it was no. appropriate and kind of um, artistic and integral yeah. into the game as well. Never felt cheated by the fact that the music's driving me towards a certain emotion and, and trying to create a, like an ambience within that mm. game as well. That has to be an incredibly difficult skill and an incredibly difficult target to go for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've no idea how, just digressing here, but I have no idea how they go about sort of, I don't know. Marrying the two there. Yeah, but I think sometimes it's just, it's just, it just works. Yeah. And I think with Journey, there's a lot of stuff because there isn't any dialogue. There isn't any, you know, character voices. There's nothing to distract you from the sound. So really, there's only two things going on in that soundtrack, which is ambient sound, the wind blowing, the noises from the sort of the sand falling and, and that sort of stuff um and the score so yeah. you know it feels like yeah i mean I, w- I went back recently and and played journey just the other week because i had the ps4 version because it was cross by and i went back and um thought well i haven't got the trophies for the ps4 version so i started and it it's one of these games that i've i often have installed and i often show people who've never seen it before and um, because I'd done that fairly recently, a friend came around for dinner and, and he'd never played it. And I, I had to, so I quickly installed it and then was showing him the introduction and explaining to him about the multiplayer element that's in the game. And he was intrigued. Uh, I don't, I, I meant to check up actually if he'd actually played it, but like it was weird. I, it's been a long time since I went through the game properly, like from start to finish. It's no less amazing for me. I, I I just was so enchanted by this game. Like the first time, I literally had the whole lump in my throat, um, and it's it's a weird emotion really because it was something that perhaps I hadn't necessarily had with a video game where the scenes in games that make you kind of emotional because they're sad or they're exciting or whatever. But this was a this was a kind of weird emotion that was about happiness and joy. 
you know there was something really uplifting about the moment where you know you get to the end with another player and that sensation was look honestly i've never i've never had it with another game since i, I can't imagine you're the only one who's experienced that i know at the same time i've had the exact same thing and it yeah. is in in no small part down to the music as well this, this, yeah. this track i was going for this is integral it's so important and it's mm uplifting and, and empowering and, and really powerful itself yeah. the game still has the ability to surprise or what i should say is actually the community still has the ability to surprise me because there was a there was one trophy and i genuinely didn't think i would get it at this point in the game's lifespan because it's been out on the ps4 for a, what, a couple of years now as well there's a trophy where it says sit with another player for 20 seconds in you know with not moving so you know the meditation. So you know when you go into, I don't know if it's when you press the pause screen or whether you can actually bring it up, but you sit down and you just sit there. So you know this, you know the bit with this, this underground, the first bit where you, you go off that sort of, after you've done the whole kind of ski slope, yes. sand thing, yeah. and you drop down into the darkness below. There's a point just as you drop down, just in front of you, there's a little mount. And then there's, a, there's, a, there's like a, a column of lights beaming down on this. So I thought... I'm going to sit here and just, I went to make a cup of tea because I thought I'm not just going to watch this. I'm just going to do something. And then my wife was sitting there and she said, oh, somebody's in. And I was like, you know, you like, you can see the glow on the screen when there's another yes. player nearby. And I was like, okay. And I, at this point I'd played through the, the game several times in order to get all the easy trophies. So I was in my white gown at this point. I turn, I turn the camera around without getting up there's another player in the white gown coming towards me and I'm like, Oh wow. Okay, cool. And I was just expecting this player to just walk right past me and not, no, he came. I don't know who it was. Genuinely. I, you know, I know you get the name at the end, but you're never quite sure who was who this character just sat down beside me and then waited. And then it was just like, Oh my, I swear, you know, I had a huge smile on my face. This I thought this is so cool. You know, this player's just, yeah. just knows what I want out of this scene. I think and, the last thing you're ever expecting yeah. out of any kind of online game is inactivity or empathy from another player. As if yeah. they're kind of preempting what you're trying to achieve here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I don't know any other game that might be able to stimulate a response like no. that other than something like Journey where it does kind yeah. of sort of command a, a, a different thought process from, from everybody. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> Your next track is probably the oldest track you've brought with us. Ever? So, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, come on, you you said earlier you were like, so how old were you in, in 1995? So 1995, I would have been um, uh, a powerful nine years old <laughs> at that time. But um, it's it's kind of a, a self-indulgent track. So this is Stadium by uh, Shinji Hosoe, mm. who uh, localized. Uh, um, uh, sorry, well, the, the track is from Tekken, the original Tekken, which was the arcade game brought through the PS One on release. Um, and Shinji Hosoe brought the the track from the arcade, and that uh, original arcade uh, track was by Yoshi Arakawa and Yoshi uh, Takayanagi. Mm. Uh, apologies for the pronunciation there. Uh, and the arcade track itself is kind of a little bit more discreet. It's it's not quite as um, bombastic. It, it's it's a li- I think it might even be a little bit slower or tonally a little bit lower than this. But um, yeah. it's totally self indulgent. This this track for for me because um, 
it evokes the first time I think I ever played a PlayStation. Now, I think quite strangely, certainly compared to my peers, I had a, a very uh, similar kind of upbringing in terms of video games to an American person. So when I hear a lot of Americans talk about their transition between the NES to Super Nintendo, Super Nintendo, the PlayStation or N64, that kind of was exactly the same situation that I had. And it wasn't out of preference because, as you know, in the UK, um, NES wasn't that popular. It was mm. mostly because I was from uh, not a particularly well-to-do background. So I spent the, the first part of my life playing NES games as opposed to Super Nintendo like my peers. So that transition from NES, in my case, to, to PlayStation 1 was absolutely astronomical. And I can remember the first time I ever played in a PlayStation. The only game I had at the time was Tekken. And I remember booting it up and just being absolutely awed by Tekken yeah. and, and in particular this this specific track. And um, I went back today and, and took a look back at it and it ain't good. It's, it's really not that sort of thrilling. There's a lot of saturated color. There's a sort of weird draw distance in the background. But as a game, it's still absolutely incredible. It looked white hot at the time. And I can vividly remember everything about uh, playing that sort of weird tech mm. game that that I just never experienced anything like that before. So, do you have any um, prior yeah. experience with Tekken? Well, yeah, I was actually for the original PlayStation. I think I was more of a Soul Blade um, player at the time. I was more into that. Yeah, um, excellent game. I had Tekken back on my original PlayStation, but I think I have, in truth, I've got fonder memories of Tekken too. And I know the statute of limitations is is up on this one, so I'm not I'm not afraid to drop anybody in the crap with telling. But we so in when Tekken Two came out, I was working in London, and we did a, a night shift. And when we had a quiet night, uh, we used to have a little color portable TV. I used to run back to where I was living and grab my PlayStation. We used to have a Tekken tournament in the canteen. And it would be for the, you know, because literally when I had, say we had a quiet night, it was literally clean the machines and then find somewhere quiet and crash. <laughs> that was usually the plan. But when we brought the PlayStation in, it was just like we'd be on this all night. And that it, it's probably my fondest memory. I'm not a big beat em up player. I'm not a big fan of these games because I, I certainly when I play them on my own, I've got no interest. Where this where these games always had the strength for me is is couch co-op or playing with a group of people so we used to have these sort of tech and tournaments and you know winner stays on situation and it was just fun it was just funny and and a great laugh and you know you get the supervisor come in and roll his eyes at us when we were like jumping up and down and stuff when we were winning and stuff but it was just it was funny at the time it was just it was what some of my fondest memories of, of that although it's not the game we're talking about as such it, it's from that franchise and that's yeah. probably yeah but I think that was actually probably the last one I actually played properly as well. I never never really got into that series and I've, I've never paid it much mind since. So we don't, I don't think I've ever kind of disclosed my affection for Tekken. And it's primarily because uh, come PS2 era, I just never really bothered to keep up with it. But certainly Tekken 1, 2 and 3 were incredibly important and formative for, for someone like myself. Mm -hmm. I never played a lot of Street Fighter except for in the arcades. And it was always yeah. very difficult to actually do that. But... Tekken just seemed like this incredible game because there was nothing too fanciful about it. Everything seemed to be grounded in a sense of reality, yeah. except for the moon jumping. I think, well, I say moon jumping, there was also anything that the Yoshimitsu character did that was always really strange. But it, it, it triggered this love affair that I had with, with martial arts that lasted from when I was, what, 
like 10 maybe through to mm. when I met my um, fiance at about 25 years old. So I spent the next 15 years studying mm. martial arts and just wanting to be within that. And, and I can directly trace it down to, to playing tech and trying to, to like visualize some of the movements they were doing. For me personally, mm. like my martial art was Aikido and they didn't bring anybody from that kind of sphere into Tekken until Tekken 5, I think. But I, I used to like sort of thinking like, hey, like this looks pretty much exactly the same as something we do within within my discipline as well. Hmm. It's a great, great game. Yeah. Good job you didn't start with Manhunt then, didn't it, really? Because <laughs> we might <laughs> not be having this conversation right now. Um, right, so let's listen to the track. This is Stadium by Shinji Hosoe. Yoshi Arakawa and Yoshi Takenyanagi. Going back to Canem Rinse, issue number 18, back in February of 2012, we covered a particular game, the game being Red Dead Redemption. My next track is Dead End Alley by Bill Elm and Woody Jackson. The reason I picked this isn't so much about the 2010 game, but it's about the fact that 
pretty much every week we're currently talking about how much we're looking forward to the sequel that is finally on its way because it's fair to say that this is the game that we are going to be playing for quite some time once the uh, the multiplayer has dropped absolutely yeah no doubt <laughs> I didn't know you at the time, so but I'm assuming you played the hell out of this. So Very much so. Pretty much I think I played else. through it about twice, and it was one of the only mm. games that uh, I think I went for 100% for on the Xbox 360. And I have nothing but fond memories of it. Even the, the amazing thing about Red Dead Redemption is even the most mundane and banal yeah. things were just pleasant to do. Just existing in Red Dead Redemption was... Like an absolute joy, so it was it was no chore whatsoever to go around and do all of the, the yeah. the, the the nonsense things that were just for trophies at the time. Absolutely. It, well, it. yeah, it's it's strange because I played all I've got all the GTA games, but I can't say that they really resonated with me, and I wasn't like a real, I wasn't a f- huge fan of Rockstar games at that point. This is the game that turned me around on them. Like genuinely, I played this. I was like the first time you get to like um, Armadillo and you you go around and just watch people going about their business, all those NPCs and particularly like the blacksmith. You know, it was just like I was sold on that time. I mean, I was sold beforehand. It was a game that I I literally got sold by the trailers for this. You know, those trailers where they had the the female narrator telling you about the world and what you can do in the game and how the bounties work and all this kind of stuff. I was like, wow, okay. And I'd never played a Western game at this point. You know, and I, I was familiar, obviously, with Rockstar. I had all the 
the GTA games that have been released. I'd even bought things like table tennis and stuff, but um, they weren't a particularly. They weren't like on my list of developers. I've got to like scour for the next title. You know, eagerly anticipated the next game that they made. Um, they weren't there until this game came along, and this game is the one that just genuinely blew my mind. Like as an open world game, this was probably the point where I was like. I'd never seen anything like this kind of world before, you know, mainly because of the wildlife and, and the ability to interact with everything. I was just absolutely, and you know, I, I mean, I, I must have spent four or five months just constantly sort of doing the same missions in the multiplayer stuff, but just because I loved being in that world. You know, and absolutely. I think snakes. <laughs> looking at the, I mean, I was going to ask you about that because obviously you and I have played literally thousands of hours and hours <laughs> of GTA Online. Like, do you see the like Red Dead Redemption Online as uh, like an embryonic kind of uh, forerunner to GTA? And yeah, and yeah. I'd say, you, well, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I played similarly. I remember doing the the mine mission over and over again just to try and. Well, not necessarily grind, but just just for just to be in there and find more things to do. And it's a very fun memory between myself and and uh, like our mutual friend Tom about mm. uh, running around on the back of a, a mule, <laughs> just harassing people yeah. and, and spending time throwing dynamite in the enclosures that people are camped up in and such. Yeah, it was a it's a weird one because there has been there's there's been a gradual evolution through because I think GTA Four had an online component because I remember playing that with. Um, our friends at the time it didn't hold our attention for very long that's for sure it it didn't feel like there was you know enough there to keep us occupied but then red dead redemption came along and it had those kind of mission structure in there and stuff like that you know where you could really get you could squad up in a sense and and go and take on these like I suppose you could think of them as similar in the way that the heists went in GTA online and this is the thing it's like you know, Red Dead Redemption really kind of, on many levels, it, the open world in the single player was incredible, but the multiplayer as well really caught my imagination. Really, I loved it, really loved it. And then obviously GTA V came along after that and has really kind of upped its game on every level. The world and the multiplayer and how the multiplayer evolves over time. So my anticipation for what they're going to do with Red Dead I'm trying to be kind of sedate about it because you thought, uh, but the, every time you really start thinking about the possibilities of the of what might be to come, oh man, <laughs> it's just like yeah. you know. And I do. I, I mean, I mentioned this in the um, I mentioned this in the Patreon monthly cast that, that Leon and I did recently. That's um, went out last week. You know, this is the game. If anybody's out there listening to this is looking for like sound people to play with, then like get on our forum, you know, join in this stuff, keep an eye out who's playing what, because we will be playing the hell out of the multiplayer when it eventually turns up. Like, there's no question there. I'm I'm in on this because of the fun that I've had on the previous Red Dead Redemption and GTA Five. I'm so down with this game. Absolutely. It's yeah. gonna go on for months. It's the know? same for me too. I think like you and I both like it seem to attack these kind of games with a, a level of like consistency that is unparalleled. So we're predicting at least sort of six months worth of gameplay out of this. So I'd I'd absolutely encourage anybody well, who like, feels inclined to that's join. being very that's being very um 
you know cautious with uh six months i mean how much how long we, i mean it was literally what 18 months two yeah. years we were on gto online uh before the kind of something else pulled us away from it and even this week we've been talking we should drop back into that game you know Definitely it's just, in preparation so you know we're being very conservative with a six month thing it's like the chances are it's going to be like 16 months yeah. of playing red dead redemption online or whatever and it, it, it speaks it. a lot to how Rockstar seem to have this incredible command of what it is that the games can do and, and yeah. kind of expand in it in a holistic way that's going to kind of maintain some degree of interest. And yeah, you see how popular GTA Online is. And mm. we've talked about this before ad nauseum to this extent. Like, I, I, I think GTA Online is a masterpiece. So, Rich, um, Monster Hunter World. <laughs> I think it would be remiss of me not to, to bring up Monster Hunter World. I know you and I, and to some extent Josh, and, yeah. and a little bit with Leon, have played this game, but um, we're, we're on thousands of hours in Monster Hunter World in particular, um, mm. not counting my uh, foray into some of the other tales in the series, but this is a very specific song for me that seems to elicit this incredible sense of dread. So it's kind of like a, a passive... Uh, song at the beginning not as bombastic as some of the other songs it's got um less horns could you believe mm-hmm. it because the it's very horn centric uh, soundtrack it's called dancer in the coral highlands by akito narita um on two occasions you can expect to hear this song the first is when you fight uh legiana who's a ice uh wyvern i guess a, a dragon who's kind of criminally underused because the monster hunter world is less emphasis on kind of a, a variety of different um, elemental attacks. There's a lot of yeah. fire dragons, but there's very little ice. And Legiana is an ice dragon, so he's a bit of a wimp. And the other is the uh, Kirin. Now, for my money, the Kirin is the, the most under, um, I guess, underappreciated and, and kind of overwhelmingly powerful monster in the yeah. entire game. And it's really what sets the wheat from the chaff. And so you're used to fighting different monsters that are ostensibly dragons, really. Um, massive in scale, huge damage, but very similar. And, and once you kind of got the, the rhythm of the game down pat, you can, you can kind of go into it. It's just a case of drawing like a parallel line down the spine of the dragon and attacking it from a, a, either a 45-degree angle or perpendicular mm. to it. And you're usually safe. But this Kirin will just mess you up no end and it's uh it's a, it's basically a horse a unicorn no bigger than a regular horse but it flips that game upside down without any warning and yeah, it will yeah. damage you <laughs> without any consideration and really humble you at the same time so i know you've played a lot of this with me what are your yeah. experiences with Kieran? well well kieran i mean that was one of those fights where we went in thought come on how hard can it be and then like what was it? I think there was one time where it literally wiped us all out in 30 seconds. Or something. Yeah. It was just like, okay. Absolutely. And that's kind of, it's one of those, and, I, and it's what I actually enjoy about Monster Hunter was this idea that you build up, you keep grinding, you, you get in better levels, better weapons, all that kind of stuff. You got the good gear, you feel cocky, and you go in, and Kirin's a fight that will just kick the, it literally kicks the legs out from under you and yep. just says, no, nah, I'm not having this. <laughs> like, Completely humbles you. Just remind you again of like, yeah, and it, I, and yeah, it was it was a fun. F- it, it was one of fun fights in the sense of like when you finally do it, you know, you get the sense of elation. Yeah, he's down. Do it, you know, and then totally. yeah, yeah, but yeah, 
it's um it's just again like it's it's just a humbling experience because you, you know the scale of it and you think yeah, yeah this this can't be too problematic but the game really ramps up in difficulty like no other enemy has the capacity to do area of effect damage that will just take out mm. strip your party to pieces within 30 seconds it has hyper armor all over its body so you have to be pinpoint accurate on hitting that horn on its head and it, it's it's just an incredible fight and it really teaches you about being patient yeah. about learning to, to to do um sort of strategic attacks with tells putting down your um equipment and items that are going to augment your um party members at the yeah. same time and it really brings out the best in it i lament that we haven't actually spent more time uh since dropping off maybe about two or three months ago and, and, yeah. and doing the final fantasy um levels and stuff but I'm, I'm i'm kind of hoping that monster hunter will bring us back in at some point hopefully before red dead redemption comes through i doubt it but you know anyway. yeah we can but wish i'm sure yeah, yeah. but e- either way it's been an incredible game certainly a contender for the game of the year from my eyes definitely mm, definitely all right let's listen to dancer in the coral highlands by akihito norita
as as people may be aware of that I edit a lot of these shows. One of the things that I've really got out of doing that is actually hearing and, and discovering new music through submissions, be it through guests or be it through um, community contributions. Uh, one such track was brought to us last week on Sandaplay 161 by Papa Pichu. Now he brought a track called Tetrapod by an artist called Big Nick, Nick Gorison, um, from the game which he also created. Originally it was called Zombies, uh, but then it changed its title to Corporate Lifestyle Simulator. So I'm editing last week's show, and I've come to this track, and I've never, never heard of this game. Like, it just, it's, I have no idea about it. And I thought, okay, that's a, that's a weird title. <laughs> but I'm listening to this piece of music. Now, in a way, this is the problem that I have with this. This single track stalled the edit for about 30 minutes. Because I started listening to this track and listened through its entirety and thought, wow, this is a really good track. Let's listen to the rest of the score. <laughs> like, <laughs> And so I jumped on YouTube and I'm like listening to other tracks from the soundtrack. And it's like, oh my word, this is like, this is a awesome like soundtrack. And so I just ended up then going down this rabbit hole of listening to Big Nick tracks for about 30 minutes before I thought, wait a minute, I was in the middle of an edit here and I'm like... <laughs> totally screwed up but um of this this corporate lifestyle simulator there's a track called modern and yeah this track i, I tell you seriously I, I had to get up really early the following day and um like uh, six o'clock or whatever i was like i put this track on and i started listening to this well i put the headphones on and listen to this it gets the blood pumping you know, it gets the feet tapping and all the rest of it. I was like, damn, man, this is a banging tune. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, this is this is one of the kicks that I get out of doing the sound of play was just discovering tracks that really... I might sound like a bit of a dick with this because I don't actually have any interest in playing the game, but the soundtrack is incredible. And he's, he's got it on Bandcamp to buy. It's one of those where you can um, pay what you want. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely picking up the score for this. Because I think it's 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 an incredible piece. It's yeah, it's it's right on my street. I love this stuff.
that was Modern by Big Nick from Corporate Lifestyle Simulator. Um, I really like, I, I really dig that track. I love the kind of, there's a point like halfway through where it kind of crescends into this kind of like digitized scream. And just, it's got like this moment, this almost like half a second pause. And then it comes back with a, with an even heavier sort of beat to it. Mm. And ah, uh, uh, it was that bit that sold me on the whole track. I was like, I love that. I don't know what you use to describe those kind of moments in music you know i'm sure there's a technical terminology to use i have no idea but it's stuff like that i really love i just it just gets me oh oh, fantastic awesome right before we get to your are we on the final track already wow that's yeah okay remember dear listeners please venture over to our forum at canarince.com slash forum uh you can follow us on twitter at canarince and we have a Facebook page and Instagram, obviously, Kane and Rinse. If you jump over to our forum, if you go on the Sound of Play threads, quite easily you'll find where you can leave your own requests for the show. And we'll continue to uh, include a selection of those in the playlist for each regular Sound of Play podcast. Before we uh, lead out on your final track, Rich, have you got anything to plug? Facebook, you know, any social media stuff or whatever? Or... If you feel inclined, you can follow me on, on, on Twitter. My... Twitter handle is FM Rune. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't really post very often. I'm a pretty passive kind of presence on the internet. What I prefer is if you do want to kind of join myself and Jay for the most yeah. part and, and all that will click online at any point. Welcoming community. There's a lot of talk about left-wing politics, as I mentioned earlier. A lot of talk about for documentaries what? and, and <laughs> war documentaries and films. You know, on, it's but... not always that serious, though. A lot of, the, like, it's literally whatever stream of consciousness stuff we're talking about at the time, and it could be as much as regional snacks from the UK yeah. and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, but we were, t- I was talking about this on, on the, uh, the Patreon monthly, which is this thing where people were talking, one of the um, folks left, I think it was Ben Monroe, left us uh, an email or a comment about having community to game nights. And I was like, well, you know, I kind of, they're not a thing I'll particularly want to set up, but I do like the, you know, as, as we've already kind of alluded to, when Red Dead Redemption comes out, we will be all, like, there'll be a few of us playing the hell out of that game, but we're not an exclusive little group. We're more than happy for people to come in and just join. And, you know, and it's the same with sort of, even when we're not playing the same games, we're often chatting on PSN. And we're not in, like, you know, it, it's kind of fine if people fancy having just, you know, jumping in and joining the chat. If you see, if you've got us on your friends list, you know, we're not we're not kind of exclusive in any way. It's just feel free to jump in and... And, and I think unlike most games, the, the kind of thing, I suppose the glue that connects you and I together for the most part is that we tend to play things with a, a sense of consistency and... And and uniformity, yeah. and we just attack it and attack it and attack it until it's kind of reached its yeah. logical conclusion. So if you do want to join and you're looking for somebody to play along with consistently, with with yeah, yeah, just do that. You can hit me up on mm. PlayStation. My gamer tag is is fairly long. It's follow underscore my underscore ruin. Um, but um, I'm on the forum as well, so you can mm. just take a look for that on there. Right. So what's this last track you brought to us then? Okay, so very recently I came across uh, this track. It's from the game Pyre by Supergiant Games. And Mm -hmm. in the style of most Supergiant Games, it's by Darren Corb and the lyricist come publicist, I think. I think that's a title in the 
the company Ashley Barrett. Now, it's no secret at this point that they are kind of incredible when they work together. You can look at their oeuvre yeah. from yeah. Bastion and Transistor. And you, they just have this incredible, um, like, dual part harmony. The, mm. the accents and the, the tonality seems to marry together very well. And I just wasn't prepared for, for this game at all and how incredible the, the soundtrack is. So if we just dive into it, um, Pyre is basically probably the best sports game I've ever played without actually being a sports game. Oh. It's a sort of high fantasy kind of turn-based game that reminds me a lot of NBA Jam, just with less Bill Clinton mm. in this one. And it was on sale on PSN for about £6, I think. So that's probably about, well, 10 potatoes in, in US dollars. It's, it's nothing, and I, I can't recommend it enough. Mm. What's most interesting about Pyre is that the music and the sound design and the uh, voiceovers are so intricately interwoven with the actual development itself. And it, there's just no separating the fact that the music has informed the game, the game has informed the music. And so you get this real circular yeah. kind of relationship with with the, the, the sound and, and the actual game itself. It is yeah. incredible. It's, uh, like I say, it's, it's like a cross between NBA Jam and uh, like a choose-your-own adventure book. And it is just incredibly robust. The mm. song I've chosen from the game is called Bound Together, and it is the, the credits music. And I think it goes, um, it probably needs to be said that there's a, a sort of degree of spoilers in the song. So if you've any interest in the game, then I implore you to go and play it. It's about 15 hours long, and, and you won't regret it. But what the, the, the track does is it acts as a sort of um, like a recap of your story as you've gone through the world of Pyre and some of the events that have taken place. What is most fascinating about this particular song is that it's, it's, it's modular in its design. So what it does is it actually tracks the decisions that you've made throughout the game and the outcomes from those decisions and weaves mm. them into the song itself. And what I've done here is I've actually taken an extract from my gameplay. So this is the song that I played or that I experienced at the yeah. end of my game. And, and for those who have played it, you'll probably be able to see some of the decisions that I've made. It is incredible music. It is an incredible game. And, and I think it, it really needs to kind of go forward as something that, mm. that everybody should play if, if you haven't done. I've got both the I've got both the soundtracks to Bastion and Trans, uh, Transistor. And Transistor, I think, it, well, um, both scores, I think, are fantastic. But Transistor possibly more is is more a favorite mostly because of ashley barrett singing in that there's a track called paper boats in that soundtrack that i absolutely i think is incredible like and it's so weird to think that sort of that's like a second job to yeah, sing it's just yeah. like what such an like, accomplished singer yeah. as well yeah but yeah i'm interested uh, well i'm interested in sort of i'll watch the video as i'm extracting the audio from it but it's uh but yeah, I kind of like the idea that the uh, the stuff is integrated with the gameplay as well. I think that's kind of an interesting... Goodness knows um, how many permutations there's going to be, but it, yeah. it is so kind of comforting and, and really inspiring to know that the, the music that's at the end of the game is, is unique to you and you can just sit there mm. and enjoy the decisions that you've made. I think it's worth listening out for some of the... Um, because it's, it's kind of like a, a recurring theme and motifs. There's a lot yeah. of... Um, uh, instruments that are woven in with certain characters as well so you get the the difference and you can look out and, and they are woven into the story at the same mm. time it 
I, I don't know what to say. It feels like I'm gushing about this game, but it, it's worth it. I think all Super okay. Giant games have been incredible. And yeah, I, I genuinely implore everybody, if you haven't played it and you've got any interest in what I'm saying, go out and check it out because you won't regret it. Cool. We'll leave you to it. This is Bound Together with Darren Corbett and Ashley Barrett. And normal sound of play service will be resumed next week uh, with, I think it'll be Leon hosting on next show. Their journey began on a barren waste where the reader arrived, afraid and alone. When he arrived, the book of rights awakened the night wings and ignited the
Stars, we shall find them.